You are listening to the Impact Lenders Podcast, the podcast for people and institutions using lending for good. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Impact Lenders Podcast. This is your host, Peter Schaefing of High Impact Financial Analysis. Today we have a really great show that's focused on financing small residential rental properties. This is really a critical challenge in a lot of the communities served by impact lenders. It's such a big segment of the housing stock, but it can be a difficult sector to serve. So to help us grapple with this, we have representatives from two great CDFIs with us today, Tom McGrath from Community Preservation Corporation in New York, and Jack Crane from Community Investment Corporation out of Chicago. Tom and Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Nice to be here. Great to have you. So before we dive into the issue at hand today, I'd love to give you both the chance to introduce yourself as well as your institutions. Uh, Community Preservation Corporation is really the reason we're all talking today. Uh, you guys just released a great resource related to this that we'll get into in a bit. Why don't you start off? Sure. Uh, as, as you point out, I'm Tom McGrath, CPC. CPC is a private not-for-profit lender. Uh, it was started in 1974 in New York City when New York City was experiencing about 25,000 units a year to abandonment. And a group of the clearinghouse banks came together to help tackle rebuilding New York. That effort, led by David Rockefeller, sort of led to us rebuilding neighborhoods in New York City, expanding beyond New York City into the Hudson Valley, and following the same plan to go out through all of New York State. So we, we sort of uh, look at ourselves as, um, you know, uh, an organization that likes to rebuild neighborhoods, but through that effort, we also finance an, an awful lot of affordable housing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I didn't realize your origins are really in vacant and abandoned buildings, which is really right on the nose for today's conversation. Exactly. That's why I mentioned, right? Great. And Jack, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Community Investment Corporation. Community Investment Corporation, CIC, as we're known here in Chicago. Uh, we actually started about the same time, around 1974, and the first uh, 10 years, we were in the single-family uh, renovation business, one to four units, but then we could see there was a great need for the multifamily space, six units or more, and we actually looked to CPC in New York uh, and liked their model quite a bit in terms of the financing structure of working with local banks and putting together a loan pool. Uh, that would diversify the risk of lending to, you know, distressed buildings in Chicago. And uh, since 1984, uh, we are the largest uh, rehab lender for apartment buildings, six units or more in Chicago. Uh, We're structured similar to CPC, not-for-profit, mission-driven. And we, today, we work primarily on the south and west sides of Chicago. Excellent. So clearly you are both uh, representing institutions that have a really deep experience in this space and really acclaimed expertise. So I look forward to getting into it here. So when we talk about the challenges associated with serving this, this small building asset, it's really important to recognize why it's important first. And I think a, a big part of that is that even in a state like New York that has New York City and all the multifamily buildings you think of when you think of the city, even here, the majority of housing stock in the state is in the small building space. So if you're going to serve communities, you have to kind of figure out how to serve this particular asset class. And one of the big challenges is they're small loans, hard to be efficient, hard to be profitable when you're doing this. Um, so I'd love to hear your take on how your institutions grapple with that specific challenge and what you've learned along the way. So Tom, why don't you start off? 
Sure. Um, as, as I mentioned from our roots, uh, that's sort of exactly what we've done at CPC is to finance an awful lot of vacant buildings, primarily with small developers. So we have a lot of experience with it. I think that one of the things that we've done among many is to educate the smaller developers that uh, we work with. So many of them somehow wound up owning buildings who were able to get into a vacant building with not a lot of money up front, but don't have a lot of experience on how to access financing and or subsidy. So in New York City, we partnered with HPD, which is New York City's community development office. And we created sort of a one-stop shop for smaller developers or larger developers for that point, where one could apply to CPC, we would assist them in securing the subsidy from HPD. And we would issue a single credit agreement or, or a commitment to finance uh, HPD deposits their funds with us and we in turn lend it to the developer. It sort of takes a lot of the guesswork out of how one works with subsidy when you can work with one lender. So it's we've done that, uh, tried to model that throughout uh, New York State subsequently. And in fact, we are working with the state right now to close our first loans under a very similar participation loan program That's where great. smaller developers could access uh, subsidy dollars through CPC as well. So you have this direct government program that you work with to kind of reduce the friction and, and help your smaller borrowers who are doing these size projects access subsidy. Right. And at the same time, uh, we try to educate them on exactly how one puts together a trade payment breakdown, fills out the requisitions every month. I, I think a lot of the lenders previously had worked with hard money lenders where it was very easy to access money, although very expensive. And by educating them, we can bring a professional, uh, a certain amount of professionalism to it. I'll talk about the guide as we continue to put together, but we put together a guide to developing small buildings called Start Small, but I'll come back to that. Sure. And you hit on in that conversation, another one of the big challenges here, which is because these are small buildings and a little less efficient on the developers end too, you tend to be working with smaller developers, people who may be a little less sophisticated than a multifamily, you know, a large multifamily developer. So Jack, why don't you tell us a little bit about how CIC works with those types of clients and, and what you do to support them? Yeah, that's, that is our, uh, our bread and butter is working with small operators who may own, you know, they may be buying their first six flat or 12 flat. Some are part-time, obviously part-time operators if they're going to you know, own, let's say, up to uh, 100 units of property. Uh, you really need to own at least 100 units here in Chicago to shift to being a, a full-time owner-operator. Mm -hmm. I think one of the perhaps distinctions from CPC with us is that 95% of our financing is strictly private. Uh, there's no subsidy from the city or the state. So it's very market-driven. And, and it actually works. I mean, the total cost to acquire and rehab uh, multifamily buildings in the low mod neighborhoods can range anywhere from 40,000 a unit up to, you know, 60, 70,000 a unit. And because there's uh, a lot of older apartment building, you know, stock there, it remains fairly affordable. So yeah, uh, and the markets are, you know, they're strong enough. Of course, they, there's ups and downs in those markets. But uh, overall, you know, we, we continue to be able to do a private market strategy uh, for the most part, uh, although we do on a fairly regular basis go into more 
distressed pockets in Chicago with some subsidies. But that's from a market standpoint. As far as working with the small operators, uh, we've had a very successful property management program that's ongoing, that basically it's A to Z in terms of owning and operating properties So training. Uh, that we sponsor. What's that? So it's a training program for newer borrowers. And- it's a training program. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a great introduction to what it takes to own, to rehab, to manage. We bring in experts ranging from eviction management to maintenance to you know, how to work with brokers uh, and so forth. So in addition to that, we've been a longtime sponsor and helped put together uh, landlord associations, local landlord associations, whereby mm-hmm. the owner-operators get to learn a lot from each other. And, and it really, there's, there's no way of getting around that it, it takes time uh, to learn this business. Yeah. And even though they're working in the same kind of geography, they tend to be pretty willing to support each other. Yeah, very much so. It's, you know, in, in some ways, uh, these are, you know, as I say, small operators, but they may share uh, uh, good electricians, plumbers, tuck pointers, uh, carpenters, et cetera, because uh, I'm sure Tom will agree that really a lot of the, the key to the distressed uh, older apartment building stock is, is doing moderate rehab. And moderate rehab is a, it's very challenging. So, and you want to keep these, uh, the, these contractors busy. You don't want them leaving, so to speak. So it, it, it's interesting to see that you can often have six or seven uh, owner operators that are using uh, the same uh, subcontractors yeah. for, for building. Which is good for you as a lender because you get to know the contractors too, right? And understand who's good and, and who might slip. Yeah, and what often happens over time is, uh, you know, the the subcontractor uh, figures out after a few years that well, well, why can't he or she, you know, buy a building? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, and and they're often uh, the best operators in the long run because they know how to manage, they know how to rehab and maintain the building. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, that makes sense. And Tom, I know when you went around this the state, kind of uh, surveying your market to understand what people need in this space when you were putting together the small building guide. I know you said before that, that it came up a lot that people wanted the, the landlord association type of support. Can you comment on that and, and how that yeah. uh, your process? Yeah. You know, really building right off of what Jack just said about the, the local contractor wanting to become a developer. That's exactly the type of person that we see frequently throughout the state. And it's the type of group that, our staff put together regional meetings throughout New York State to talk to stakeholders in what their need would be to learn how to put together a package or how to put together a multifamily development, if you will, of you know six to 20 units. That's the basis of our, our SMART guide, where it really starts from looking at a building, figuring out construction costs, putting together a model income and expense statement, and what have you. Um, really right through to the management on and what to look for in management. I, I don't think our management side is quite as, as uh, extensive as Jack's. Ours is a little bit more upfront. We think it's a great tool and smaller developers like that. Many that we worked in New York City in our earlier days and throughout New York State, guys like that have today become some of the largest uh, affordable housing developers in the state. They really can be groomed to become terrific developers from yeah. uh, just being a contractor. And for a lender like CPC, where you do a lot of much larger deals as well, yeah, 
can kind of envision the this as a pipeline, you know, working with smaller developers to build them up. Absolutely. We, we also like smaller developers that will stay in their neighborhood and continue. We try to encourage them after they do their first to continue to buy more and more up to their capacity because, you know, that's just a great way to uh, rebuild a neighborhood is to have uh, good, strong, young developers vested. Yeah. And Jack, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Do you see these smaller developers, are they generally staying in a very tight neighborhood or are they trying to, you know, have a more diverse portfolio? I, yeah, I think uh, in, in Chicago, uh, they like to stay in, the, in their neighborhoods. There, there are South Side developers and there are West Side developers. Okay. And it's, it's very rare that a developer will, will go to both locations. And these are obviously very big neighborhoods but they get to understand the nuances of uh, the neighborhoods, the values in many of Chicago's neighborhoods. It's kind of a block by block in terms of this, this side of the, of the street is uh, you're going to attract good tenants. And then a couple blocks south, it's going to be a, a little more difficult. And I think the, the deeper that the local operator goes, the more successful they are. Yeah. And that I would imagine when you, you see a developer switching neighborhoods, that might be kind of a red flag unless you, you feel they've really got the capacity. Yeah. I think if they start popping into a neighborhood that they don't really know, the caution signs are going up because a lot of the operators, they don't have, you know, a, a typical real estate owner operator, they don't have much cash because the cash they're using, they're buying another building. So it's you know typically a very very lean operation, very hands on, and so uh, we really need to you know we stay close to them, uh, and we certainly don't want them to get over their skis, uh, as the new saying is, and get over leveraged. That can really lead to trouble. Yeah, yeah. So Tom, the guide that that CPC's just published, it's called "Start Small: A Guide to Financing Small Multifamily Building Projects." How are you using that to help borrowers avoid the types of, you know, stretching themselves too far or getting into a project they're not quite ready for? How's that uh, guide being used to prevent that? Well, the, the guide is new, so we're just starting to work with developers on it right now. But it sort of goes back to what I had said originally, and I think Jack probably agrees because he does the same thing with their landlord program. It's education, uh, really trying to teach a developer how to approach building development and management of a multifamily property properly and um, and just what to look for the various things I mean so many developers aren't even or younger developers or, or newer developers I should say really don't give much thought about environmental concerns and buildings and things like that and how to approach it and what those costs are to remediate etc cetera, etc cetera. so the more they can understand, the more they can understand about how a construction loan works, we think it, it's really helpful and you know, allows the process to go along quicker and it, be, it helps to create better developers. I completely agree with what Jack said about working with small developers and not allowing them to get over their skis. I think there is a point with uh, some of these guys that it becomes pretty obvious when they're ready to take the next step up to a larger building and what have you. And um, so I, I really believe it all comes back to uh, educating them on how to do this and the start small booklet that we have will really help that. Yeah. And that is the big takeaway so far for me is if you're going to get into a, a lending program for small buildings, TA or technical assistance has to be 
a, a primary focus, right? No question. It, really, in a lot of them, uh, smaller developers that we're working with, we sit with them to help them with their applications, sit with their architect on how to create a trade payment breakdown, making sure that they've covered all their costs. Absolutely, it's a huge part of it. It's, it's a big time investment uh, on yeah. our mortgage officers, but you know, at the end of the day, well worth it to uh, avoid potential problems. Yeah. But as you do have additional investment of time and resources, again, we get to this inefficiency problem. So are there any lessons learned for you guys in terms of how to make this a more efficient process so that you can afford to focus on this population that might be a little more intensive? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, there's nothing magical in that sense. Uh, I, I agree with Tom that our, our loan officers spent a lot of time, a lot of handholding, uh, especially with newer owner operators, we have an in-house construction staff. You know, we're constantly trying to become more efficient because there's uh, hard money lenders on every corner uh, of uh, Chicago's loop. There's a lot of cash, uh, a lot of you know high-interest money out there, uh, willing to take high risk, of course, for acquisition and rehab of multifamily properties. Uh, and for the most part, it's, it's pretty bad news. It's highly risky for owner operators. So the, the advantage that we have is if we, you know, we want to get these new investors into our shop because we're going to provide them with lots of expertise and guidance for success. And, yeah. you know, have that's... you seen borrowers that you've had uh, get into trouble with online lenders or not even online, but hard money? Yes, many. Uh, they they will uh, they will overpay on a property. They will get ninety percent financing uh, to acquire a building. Then they come over to us, uh, and they're thinking in their heads that the building only needs fifty thousand dollars of rehab. And we go out there, and we can clearly see in you know ten minutes that it needs one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Got it. Uh, in rehab, so uh, most likely they've overpaid for the building, uh, and then they're stuck. Yep. Same thing, Jack. We see the same thing over and over again, where, in fact, we just recently had one in Albany where a developer came in and suggested he could put 50000 in the building. And we actually think in that one, it's more like 450000 <laughs> right. I can picture that exact building. I mean, yeah. there's those buildings all over the place. where Yes. You know, it's, it's in really tough doing. condition. You know, that said, we do want to work with them because these tenants are living in some pretty harsh conditions and right. we would like to see the building upgraded. And so we will work with him to put together the, you know, in that case, we definitely do need subsidy to get to the dollars that we need, but we will work with him to try to yeah. get there. Is that where you give him the guide and you say, read this, come back to us. Start here. Yeah. <laughs> start here. Yeah. Start small, read this. And uh, let's that's part of it too. Is I, and I think CPC and CIC, you know, we're rehab lenders and we want to make, you know, we're making a long-term in investment, a long-term loan, and we want to do the rehab right. And that's, you know, part of what we have to convince uh, either new investors or, or even experienced investors that what we're recommending on the rehab side is very good uh, in the long run for the investor. Mm -hmm. There Unfortunately, there's, you know, there's a lot of easy money out there, expensive money, uh, and even sometimes larger banks that will do acquisition loans in fairly stabilized buildings, but they're not addressing uh, the rehab needs uh, of the property. And what happens is two or three, four years down the road, 
when some major you know heating systems or the roof or the electrical is outdated or porches are falling apart that investor does not have the capital you know to do the repairs so they they get into trouble mm-hmm. yeah great and, and at the same time you don't want to dissuade those newer developers from moving forward. So there's a fine line of trying to get the proper rehab done and create the incentive from a financing standpoint to have them move forward. Partly that's where uh, we work a little bit more than Jack with subsidies and then try to make it easier for them to access those subsidies so that it doesn't scare them off. Yeah. Let me point out, we would love the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago to come up with some major (laughs) subsidy programs that would not hurt our business at all. I'm sure. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Send him a link to the podcast. This will do. <laughs> yeah. But Jack, you guys do have uh, a pretty cool program that where you're working with a, a government agency to allow you guys to kind of get a first look at some foreclosed properties. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, we, we do have a, we, we got involved about five years ago in looking at the one to four unit uh, a rental uh, properties. Uh, 50% of Chicago's uh, affordable rental apartments are in the one to four unit space. And what happened uh, is during the recession and post-recession were hundreds, if not thousands of these properties were uh, in high distress, if not abandoned. So uh, we put together a fund to essentially warehouse and buy uh, a number of these properties from um, directly or indirectly from Fannie Mae, for instance, whereby we could, and the whole idea was to jumpstart acquisitions for uh, single family uh, owner operators. And uh, that's been a highly successful program for us. It was just, it was one of those gaps where, you know, you could drive through the neighborhoods and you were just wondering what's happening with these properties. They're not moving. So by us having a, a fund here and warehousing and then matching uh, properties uh, with uh, the investors, it's really become a a very, very efficient way to get these properties back online. Yeah. And then when you, when you do that, you can kind of match make with the properties and and bring in some of the borrowers that you have to say, you know, are you interested in this? Can you manage it? And then ultimately have them buy and rehab it, right? Yes, where that's been very successful is, first of all, you don't need as much capital. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's buying a, a two-flat in a particularly distressed neighborhood, a vacant two-flat, there could very well be uh, two or maybe three other vacant properties on that same block. And uh, we have the wherewithal because of this fund we managed. And we started, you know, we jump-started this four years ago. We had one part, one person digging in there. And now we have three full-time people uh, buying and selling these properties, and it's it's a matchmaking situation. So we can we can actually investigate. Wh- well, why is this property? Who owns it? Can we get it? Can we get it for a reasonable price? You know, for this uh, investor. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, another takeaway I'm hearing today, I think, is is look for those government partnerships and the opportunity to work with your local agencies to help you uh, get more involved and, and also get in a position that's a little more advantageous than, than uh, it would be otherwise. Yeah, and just, uh, just to give a little uh, credit to uh, our, our fine city and our great state, we have a, a new fund, it's called the Opportunity Investment Fund, and that's whereby we are, we're helping investors buy, uh, build, uh, buy properties in more affluent uh, neighborhoods, uh, primarily on the, south, on the north side of Chicago, 
mm-hmm. and we're, we, we created a MEDS fund, uh, and the city and the state are investors in that MEDS fund. And what that does is it, uh, investors who use those funds uh, have committed to doing 20% affordable at 50% AMI over a 15-year period. Uh, so that's a, a way to get uh, lower-income families into the more, uh, you know, to neighborhoods where there's you know better schools, better opportunities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we've had uh, terrific uh, support from the city and the state there. Yeah. There you go. Good, good to give them a shout out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you get you get some cooperation too. That's good. That's good. Well, great. Well, I think this has been really uh, a helpful session to get people thinking some about the challenges as well as how you've been able to really overcome those. I mean, you guys have both been around for so long at this point and had a lot of success. So definitely institutions to learn from. Is there anything else you guys would like to add before we wrap up? The only thing I'll add is that, and Jack probably agrees, is that um, so much of the housing in really the whole country, but New York and Chicago are these small loans, as he had said. And it's really important for institutions like ours to tackle these issues because really nobody else wants to do it. Yeah. So we're proud to be involved and we, we follow a lot of what CIC does in Chicago and it's really quite similar to CPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing I would want to add, Peter, is that, you know, having been in this business personally for over 30 years and, you know, with CIC being in it since 1984, I would say the majority of our owner operators are recent immigrants. And I've seen probably two or three waves of uh, new immigrants coming in here uh, with very little resources, but lots of sweat equity, uh, willing to take the risk, going into uh, marginal, distressed, sometimes violent neighborhoods, but seeing that there's opportunities to create wealth there. And uh, they've been a major clients of CIC from day one. That's great to see. Yeah, that's got to be inspiring to work with them and see them work their way up. Yep. Absolutely. That's great. All right. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Community Investment Corporation, you can visit their website at CICChicago.com. And for Community Preservation Corporation and to download the free guide to small building financing, you can go to CommunityP.com. So Tom and Jack, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Peter. This podcast is brought to you by High Impact Financial Analysis. We help mission-focused lenders build and maintain high-performing impact portfolios through our underwriting, portfolio analysis, and general consulting services. Find out more at www.highimpactanalysis.com and follow us on Twitter at High Impact FA. The views and opinions expressed on the Impact Lenders podcast are the speaker's own and do not necessarily represent the views of High Impact or other organizations. Until next time, thanks for listening.